you for taking the time to listen to this sermon from Seekers Christian Fellowship. We believe that God's Word completes the believer, making them fully equipped men and women of God, ready for every good work. It is our prayer that through this message, you're challenged by the Word of God, built up in love for God and one another, conforming to the image of Jesus Christ. Well, um, over the years, uh, whenever I've found myself lacking in zeal or devotion or like passion for God, there's nothing like the story of a new believer to just encourage me. Have you found that? Like the story of a new Christian that just spurs you on, like the testimony of God miraculously saving a sinner like me. Um, even the stories of God's grace in your lives, right? Many of you, you've testified, right? The story of how God has been gracious to you. Those test- I can't tell you how much those testimonies have been a blessing to me, right? And I'm sure to many of you, as you've heard others share their testimonies. Um, at the same time, I think there's a pride uh, in me, at least, and, and perhaps some of you, those of us who are Christians who have walked with Christ for many years, um, there's a pride that's within us. And, and what do I mean? I mean that when a new Christian starts to share their testimony, what comes into our minds, those of us who've walked with the Lord, what could I possibly learn from this child? Like, no, no one's nodding their heads, but okay right? What can I possibly, this infant in Christ, what could I, who have walked with the Lord for so many years, how, what could I learn from the testimony of a new Christian? That's a pride in me. And so this morning, we are going to actually hear the story of God's grace in the life of a new Christian, in the life of a new Christian. And don't get me wrong, the passage you heard was the right one. It's John chapter 9, verses 1 to 12. It is about a miracle, right? A a man born blind who receives his sight by the sheer power of Jesus, once again proving to us that he is the Son of God, he is worthy of our trust, right? That's that's what the passage was about. But as you're going to see... In the weeks ahead, okay, as we're all going to see in chapter 9, this chapter, John 9, what you're going to realize is that this, what we're looking at this morning is actually, this miracle is the beginning of an even greater miracle, okay? An even greater miracle. Greater than physical sight restored, this is actually the beginning of the story of God's grace in the life of this man restoring spiritual sight to him, such that at the very end of the chapter, it's going to come up on the screen, chapter 9, verse 38, this same man that we're looking at today is going to testify this. He's going to say, Lord, I believe, before falling down and worshiping Jesus. Okay? Now, why am I saying all this, right, as we begin? Because, church, the context matters. Okay? The context matters. Why does it matter? The context matters because this is more than just the account of a miracle, verses 1 to 12, but it's actually the beginning of this man's testimony. It's the beginning of his testimony. And so I think you know where I'm going with this. My appeal to you this morning is that we, especially those of us who have been Christians for a long time, 
will lay aside our pride. I have to. As I approached this text, I thought, what could I possibly, this is a story of, what could you learn? Lay aside our pride and listen. Listen carefully to the story of God's grace in this man because I truly believe as I've studied this text that there, are, there is great encouragement and blessing in the lessons Jesus has for His disciples, for us, if we will listen, if we will listen. So with that in mind, turn in your Bibles. We're in John chapter 9, please. If you don't have a Bible, it's in the seat in front of you, John 9, and we're, at, uh, we're looking at verses 1 to 12. So to set the context for you, to get you back into the scene of where we are, Jesus and His disciples are on the run, right? Do you remember this? They were on the run. Last, last Sunday, we, we saw the mob of Jewish people picked up what? Stones, right? They were going to kill Jesus. What did he tell them that made them so mad? You remember, he claimed that before Abraham was, I was, I am. It was a claim to being God himself. And the Jews had heard enough, right? The Jews had heard enough, and they wanted Christ dead. They wanted him dead. That's what Pastor Dale covered last week. And so he and his disciples went into hiding, right? That's what we learned at the end of chapter 8, until the coast was clear for them to escape the temple. And it is on this route, okay, leaving the temple, chapter 9, verse 1, that Jesus sees a man blind from birth. A man blind from birth. You know, um, we're never actually told his name. I don't know if you've gone ahead and read chapter 9, but the Apostle John never even tells us his name. Only that, only detail is that we know that he was blind from birth. From birth. Okay, I just want you to let this sink in. Do you know what that means? This man has never seen the light of day. Never. Never. Just, just, just imagine that. He has never seen the light of day. He, he, all he has ever known is darkness, right? His whole life, all he has ever known is darkness. As, we're, as we learn a little later, look at verse 8 for a moment. Look at verse 8. This condition, this blindness that he had, it actually meant that he had to sit and beg. Like, he couldn't work. Like this, this was his lot in life, right? To sit and beg, to rely on the sympathy of others in order to survive. It's tragic. It's actually a very sad situation that this man finds himself in, totally incapable of seeing anyone. Did you notice, verse 1, it is Jesus who sees him, right? Totally incapable of seeing anyone himself. It is Jesus who first sees him. And looking on this tragic scene, verse 2, his disciples asked the question, here's the question, Rabbi, who sinned? Right? This man or his parents, right? Who sinned? Who must have sinned that he was born blind? That he was born blind. Um, now, before we break down the disciples' argument or, or we dismiss their, their assumption here, I think it's important for us, those of us who are honest with yourself, that we too have fallen into this same assumption. Okay? We have. The last time you drove past someone who was less fortunate than you, perhaps someone who was homeless on the street, 
or an addict, someone who is poor. I'm not saying we all do this, but, but that thought has come where you wonder, what sin has this person committed, right? Like, like that something so awful should happen to them, what sin must they have committed? That was the assumption of the disciples, right? That was the assumption of their day, that, that if you are suffering, it must be your fault. There must be something you have done in order to get this punishment. That's what suffering was to them. It was, it was linked to your personal sin, and so there, there's no one else to blame for your suffering but you, but you. And I can already see in your faces you're thinking, that's not fair, right? Some people face suffering that has no seemingly no connection to them. How can that be fair? How can the disciples suggest this? Especially with this man. If you think about it, if you're saying that sin leads to suffering, this man was born blind, right? So, so, so the question, so, like when did he have time to sin? In the womb? No, right? And so the disciples, they're smart. They actually propose another option, right? Another possibility. Well, then if it's not the man, could it be the sin of his parents? Could it be the sin of his parents that he is born this way, right? Now they're starting to think of another possibility. You know, to understand that, you need to get the background a little bit. Congenital blindness, being born blind, is extremely rare, okay? Thanks be to God. It's extremely rare. When it does happen, sometimes it happens because of cancer. There's a cancer of the retina. Sometimes it's trauma. Sometimes it's toxins. Sometimes it's, it's, it's extreme prematurity, if, if, the, if the mom has delivered extremely premature. But another important cause of congenital blindness is infection, and specifically gonorrhea. Gonorrhea, a sexually transmitted infection that the parents could have caught through infidelity, right? Through cheating on one another and then passing it to their newborn at the time of delivery. So you see, in the minds of the disciples, these were the two options. Right? There are only two options to explain his blindness. Either he was, he was such a sinner that this is what he's getting what he deserved, or he came from such a broken home that this is the effects of his parents' sin. That's how they saw it, the two options that they propose. Before we, we dismiss that, those assumptions, I think it's important for us to clarify what the Bi- a few things the Bible says about suffering, okay? Because some of you are wondering these questions, right? Maybe you're facing suffering right now. We need to be clear here. A couple things I just want to say. Number one, though your suffering is not necessarily because of your personal sin, okay, all suffering, evil, and death came into the world because of human sin. Does that make sense, that difference? So I'm not saying your suffering is because of necessarily because of your sin, but it is because of human sin, right? Romans 5.12, that suffering entered the world. The second thing we should say about suffering is that um, though your suffering is not necessarily because of your own sin, it's not necessarily because of your own sin, sometimes it is because of your own sin. Sometimes it is because of your own sin. If you want an example, Numbers chapter 12, verse 10. Do you remember Miriam? Anyone remember Miriam, the sister of Moses? She was struck with leprosy. You remember this? 
Why did she suffer? What was the reason? Because of her sin against her brother Moses, right? Because of her rebellion. So sometimes sin, uh, suffering can be related to your own sin. And the third thing I need to say about suffering is you and I are only judged for our own sins, okay? Like, like you're going to be judged for your sin. I'm going to be judged. Like, you're not going to be judged for my sin, and I'm not going to be judged for your sin. Each person is going to be judged for their own sin. However, my children, my children, and my children's children could face the generational effects of my sin. Of my sin. It's true. You don't need to look far in society. The abusive or um, drug-addicted or alcoholic father, that home, that sin of his, has an effect on the kids, right? It does. Of course it does. In Scripture, 2 Samuel chapter 12, King David, his newborn son, died. Why? Because of the child's sin? No. As, a, as an effect of the sin of his father, David, Right? for his adultery with Bathsheba. So what am I, why am I saying all this, church? Because you see, we must not be quick to judge another person's suffering. Right? The moment someone suffers, we must not be quick to think, oh, it must be something they have done, it must be something they have said. Because why am I saying? Because suffering can happen for many different God-given reasons. I hope you see that. Right? It can happen for different reasons. And in the case of this man, born blind, there was yet another reason for his suffering, a third option that the disciples did not even recognize, right? They only gave two options. Look at verse 3. Jesus gives them the third option. He answers, it was not that this man sinned, no. It was not that his parents sinned, no. But that the works of God might be displayed in him. Wow. Could it really be? Here are the disciples, right? What are they doing? They're basically straining to figure him out. That's what they're doing, right? They're trying to theolo theologize. Is that a word? They're trying to find the theology behind his blindness, right? They're trying to figure him out. And here comes Jesus and he lifts their eyes and he says, See the true and greater purpose for this man's suffering. What was it? That God would be displayed. Could it really be? Church, think of your own suffering. Could it really be that God has allowed that to happen in your life for His glory? Yes. In the case of this man, that He has allowed this incurable condition to happen to Him. Why? To give Jesus the opportunity to do something that only God could do. Right? Proving once again that Jesus was who He said He was. Could it be? And so, church, the first lesson that I'm seeing here in this text is I believe that Jesus is teaching his disciples to see the providence of God. The providence of God. We covered this last Sunday as young adults. The providence, which means to never, ever, ever underestimate the sovereign plan of God. Never underestimate the plan of God and see, see that God is at work in people. You know, we're so quick to write off people who are sinners, right? Or people who are suffering. And here we have an example of God, Jesus showing the disciples, see that God is at work in this person. That there's actually a God-given reason for his suffering, even though all you can see is his sin or his parents' sin. 
even the people we write off as sinners, even the suffering we find so hard to explain could be within the providence of God. Just think about that. You know, I love this. I know you guys have heard this a lot from me recently, but the good old 1689 London Baptist Confession, right? I've been quoting from it sometimes. I just, I think it's, it's amazing. Um, it says here, it says it this way, God hath decreed whatsoever comes to pass. Just think about that. Let that sink in. Whatsoever. Do you know what that means? That means that everything that happens in the universe is under the sovereign plan of God. Can you, can you imagine? Can you imagine? Without him incurring guilt upon himself, he is still sovereign over even the evil things that happen. Even the suffering that happens in your life, He is sovereign. He is. Every little thing that happens to you, every little thing, nothing is beyond His sovereign will and decree. And is that not a comfort to you if you're a Christian this morning? Is that not a comfort to you? Isn't that a comfort? To think that the one who ordains all things in the universe is also the very one who works all those things what? Together for good. For you. For me. Right? For those of us who love the Lord. And also, and also, for those who don't love Him yet. Think about that. But will one day. Right? For those who will one day, who are called by Him. That's the providence of God. That's the first lesson. Jesus continues. Verse 4. Turn to verse 4. And so he goes on, we must work the works of him who sent me while it is day. That's the key word, while, okay? For night is coming when no one can work, okay? No one can work. Um, we're grateful to have Jason and Zoe here today, aren't we? Yes, praise God. And um, we congratulate them on their marriage, and we're, we're, um, we're just blessed to have you part with us and joining with us today and, and uh, at church. But I don't know if everyone know, knew this, but before our brother Jason and, and Zoe could get married, Jason wanted the groomsmen to, um, to ride on a jet ski. Okay? Yeah, I don't know. It could be a, it could be a moment for applause. Yeah, yeah, it could be. Um, it's a long story. Um, well, I guess maybe not, maybe not. We, basically, we toppled it trying to get from point a, B to point A, okay, where our cars were parked, and then we had to take an Uber home soaking wet. So it wasn't a very long story, but, but I promise it's relevant, okay? Uh, one of the things I learned that day, among many other things, um, was that jet skis are actually not allowed on the water after sunset. Now, you may be looking at me like I should, I should have known that, but I didn't know that, okay? I didn't know that, but now I know. It's not safe enough. There's not enough light to safely ride that jet ski after it's dark. And so, Jason, you remember this. We were sitting at this restaurant. We're at point B. We're about 20 kilometers by water back to where our cars were parked. We're at, we're at this restaurant. We're eating. It's about 7.30, 7.45, 7.46, right? Like it's getting later, and, and the, the sun seems to be setting, right? And I remember, like, we, we got to get back to the dock, 
Like, we got to get, like, we need to board this thing and then, and then travel that distance in order to get back to where our cars were parked. And honestly, I got to tell you today, and, and Jason, I'll tell you this too, you know this, but um, as that sun was setting, I could feel the anxiety building inside me. Like, we were like, waitress, I'm sorry, we need to rush that bill, right? And then we, I remember before this, we were walking so leisurely. We were window shopping. Afterwards, we're like, this, this is a pace, right? There's a pace to our walk. We're walking. We're not getting distracted by anything else. We're not dragging our feet anymore. There was no time to do anything else. Everything we did was in light of the time we had left. Everything we did was in light of the time we had left. You see, church... Jesus was on a mission here on earth. He was on a mission, and he knew it. He knew that his father had sent him, right? And he also knew that the time he had left was short. It wasn't long. It was short. Why? What does he say? He says, the night is coming. Do you know what that means? He knew that in just a few short months, his earthly ministry was going to end on a Roman cross, right? His ministry was going to end. A few short months. But I don't want you to think that this verse, verse 4, is talking only about Jesus. Jesus isn't just talking about himself. Do you know why? Because did you notice, he doesn't begin the verse by saying, I must work the works of him who sent me. What does he say? We. He says, we must work while it is still day. The second lesson then to his disciples and to us this morning, church, is this. The time we have to serve God in this life is not long but short. It's not long. It's short. Do you realize that? Do you realize that? That each passing day is one less day for you to serve God. It is. It's one less day for you to share the good news of the gospel with your loved ones. It's one day closer to when your ministry on earth is going to come to an end. And please don't get me wrong, I'm, not, I'm asking myself these questions as well as I, as I pose it to you. How would your pace change if you realize this? Right? How would your, the sense of urgency in your life change if we got this, if we got hold of this truth? How about the time we spend on empty and fleeting distractions? The time wasted. How would that change if we lived in light of the time we have left? The time we have left. Which brings us to verse 5. <clears throat> verse 5. Now Jesus is going to get to the heart, okay, the heart of the miracle. You remember, all of these are called signs. Do you know, what a, you know what a sign does? A sign points to something, right? Stop, go, one way, right? Signs point to something. So the question you have to ask is, what does this miracle, this sign, point us to? What is the spiritual reality that Jesus is trying to tell us through this sign? And here it is. He tells us in verse 5, he says, As long as I am in the world, I am the light of the world. I am the light of the world. Uh, this, this is yet another I am statement in the Gospel of John. We've covered these before. Does this sound familiar to you? I hope it, does, it sounds familiar because that, that would be good because we've covered this, right? Chapter 8 and verse 12, brother, if you can bring it up. 
I don't know if you remember this. Again, Jesus spoke to them saying, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will not walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. This is the third lesson. Jesus is giving his disciples, okay? Hey, listen, listen. Your vision may be 2020, right? Your vision may be 2020, and this man may not be able to see a thing. But don't for a moment forget the spiritual truth here that apart from Jesus, apart from the light of the world, we all walked in darkness. That's the truth. That was us, church. Imagine switching off all these lights and fumbling around in the darkness. That's what we were doing, grasping at air. And Jesus comes and says, I am the the light of the world. Paul tells us in 2 Corinthians 4, you and I were blinded. That's the truth. We were kept from seeing the light of the gospel. If today, if this morning you know the gospel and you love Jesus, don't take that for granted. Because everyone in this world has been blinded, unable to see until the light of the world came and shone in your heart, right? So that you could see and know God. This was all Jesus. It was your salvation, your ability to see Christ. It's all Jesus, His doing, the light of the world. Now, having said these things, verse 6, Jesus spit on the ground and made mud with the saliva, and then He anointed the man's eyes with the mud and says to him, verse 7, go, wash in the pool of Siloam, which means sent, and so he went and washed and came back seeing. Came back seeing. Now, I need to be honest. In all my years of school, if there was a lecture on saliva curing blindness, like I missed that lecture. Okay, I must have been sick that day. I, like, what, what do we make, right? What do we make of what Jesus is doing here? Well, I had to, I had to go to the commentators because I really didn't know what to make of this. Um, but I, I, the commentators I read, they helpfully pointed out something, that there are actually a lot of echoes in this, these two verses of the creation account. Do you see it? What happened in creation? Creation, uh, Genesis chapter 2. What did God do? How did He form the man? From the dust of the earth. And then what did He do? He breathed, right? He breathed life into the man, into Him. And so there's that, right? There are echoes of creation and, and, and recreation that Jesus is doing with this man's sight. But, but honestly, church, the truth is, um, John just doesn't tell us, Right? The Apostle John just doesn't tell us why Jesus performed the miracle this way. And yet, and yet, I believe that within this strange command, there is a fourth lesson for us, okay? A fourth lesson. I don't know if you caught it, but the lesson is very simple. It's just this. Faith matters to God. Your faith matters to God to God. Because whether you realize it or not, what you just read is actually a demonstration of what? Faith. 
Faith, just, 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 I want you to picture this. The man called Jesus, this man is blind, right? So, so you just hear this man called Jesus comes. He puts saliva and mud on your eyes and then tells you to go and wash your face. Like for this man to do what Jesus asked, that obedience demonstrates his faith, right? He must have believed Jesus. He must have trusted Jesus at his word, at his word. And did you notice, church, I don't know if you noticed this, he never asked Jesus why. Do you notice that? Before he believed? Many of us do that, right? He never asked why the saliva, why the mud, why, why the water. He never asked why. Did you notice he never even asked Jesus how? Like, like how is this going to restore my retina? He didn't ask that, right? How are my rods and cones going to start to regenerate because of this procedure? He didn't ask any of that, right? He simply believed. And you know what? i got to be honest with you. As I was studying this passage, I started to laugh, I started to chuckle and laugh. You know why? I can't emphasize how little this man understood about what was happening. Like, I want to show you this. Okay, look at verse 10. The people ask him, you know, how were your eyes opened, right? They ask how. And then, and then look at this, verse 11. Look what he says. Look at this answer, okay? How basic this answer. Look at this. He says, the man called Jesus, made mud, anointed my eyes, told me to go and wash, so I went I washed, and I received. That's it. <laughs> There's no deep understanding. There's no scientific insight, right? There's nothing deeper than this. All he says is, this is what Jesus did. This is what Jesus said. So I went, I washed, I received, right? I was blind, now I see. And the difference, the reason is Jesus. And God forgive me for my pride because is that not the kind of faith that God wants from us? Isn't it? Isn't it? To take him at his word, simply because it is his word. Is that not the faith that pleases God, church? It is. It is. God forgive me. It is. It is. And so, verse 8, the man returns. He returns to the scene. And the neighbors and, and those who had seen him, now they enter the scene, okay? Verse 8. And, and, and those who had seen him before as a beggar were saying, is this not the man who used to sit and beg? They're asking the question, right? And then some said, yeah, it's him. But others said, no, 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 no. No, it can't be, right? It, it can't be him. He looks like him, right? Yeah, he, he has similarity, but no, that, that can't be him. And he kept saying, the man kept saying, I am the man. I am the person you knew. I am. The fifth and final lesson I believe we can learn um, from the example of this man, born blind, is this. The undeniable change that happens in someone who is truly saved. The undeniable mistakable, undeniable change that happens when someone is truly saved. You know, as, I, as we draw this to a close, I want to try something that we haven't done before. It's a little bit different, okay? Please bear with me. Um, 
just for a few moments, okay? Wherever you are, will you close your eyes with me? Close your eyes with me just for a moment, okay? Just for a moment, close your eyes. Close your eyes. Because this is all the man knew. This is it. Dark, this is it. This is all he knew until the light of the world came and opened his eyes. You can open your eyes. And opened his eyes. Opened his eyes to the joy of sight, right? To the beauty of what God has made, to the beauty of what God has done, to the beauty of God himself, right? I just want you to put yourself in this man's shoes. Can you imagine you're at the pool and you're just lifting your face up from the water and there's still like the water droplets are still fresh on your cheeks, right? And there's like mud caked and it's kind of falling off. And for the first time in your life, you see light. Can you imagine? Just imagine. What would you do? What would you do? I'll tell you what I would do. I'd look back at the pool. You know why? I want to see my reflection. I want to see what I look like to, to people. I want to see the, the makeup of my face. Not the makeup on my face. The makeup of my, you know what I'm saying. The makeup, on, makeup of my face. I want to see that. And then what would you do? You'd get up from the pool and you'd start to walk. And for the first time, you'd be able to look where you're going. Right? We look where we put our steps so he'd see the ground, he'd see the rocks, he'd see the sand, he'd see the green, the patches of green grass, and then maybe he'd hear a bird singing and he looks up and there's a bird in the sky. And the skies are beautiful and the sun is breaking through the clouds. What am I trying to say with all of this church? That the change in this man's life was like night and day. It was so profound, it was undeniable that the neighbors couldn't even believe that it was him. They couldn't even believe it. What do they say in verse 9? It can't be him. It just can't. The man we knew was blind, right? Like all he ever did was sit here and beg. This man is standing before us, eyes wide open. It can't be. It can't be. And you know what I realized, church? And this is sad, but it's, it's true. If you have to go around and tell people, I am a Christian. I am. I really am a Christian. If you have to do that, if you have to convince them, if people are surprised to learn, oh, I didn't know you were a Christian. If that's how, how it is with you, I'm telling you right now, it is because your life has not changed. That's why. You haven't been changed by God. Why? Because if you are truly saved, the change is so profound. It is so incredible that the world will not be able to recognize you anymore. That's what happens for those who are truly saved. They can't recognize you they, so, that, so that you have to, instead of saying, I am a Christian, I am a Christian, what do you have to say? Just like this man, I am the person you once knew. I am that man. But I've been changed. I have been changed by the miraculous work of God in Christ. Change. Which brings us to our conclusion. Verse 12. Verse 12. Our last verse. The neighbors and the crowds, therefore, they said to him, okay, well, wow, like, where is he? So, 
Like, where is he? Where, where is Jesus did all this for you? Where is he? And the man says, I don't know. I just don't. I don't know. Um, you know, as I mentioned when we began, this chapter, chapter 9, John 9, it begins with the man receiving his physical sight, right? But it ends with him receiving his spiritual sight, right? There's two bookends to this chapter, chapter 9. And the miracle that we looked at this morning, this miracle, this sign, is a work of God that is supposed to prove to us, right? It's the work being displayed for you and me to prove to this man and to prove to the disciples again and to prove to every one of us here in this room that Jesus was who He said He was. He is the light of the world. He is the Christ. He is the Son of God. And there is really only one right response. What is it? Verse 38, Lord, I believe. That's the only right response. Lord, I believe before falling down and worshiping. Right? That's, that's, that's where this man is headed, okay? That's where his faith is headed. Um, and yet, as verse 12, as our passage comes to an end, you can't help but notice that he hasn't, he hasn't arrived there yet. He hasn't gotten there yet. Like, he, like, like if, if anything, verse 12 tells us how much this man doesn't know. He does, they ask him, where is Jesus? He says, I don't know. If you've been following me carefully this morning, um, I don't know if you realize this, but the man never actually laid eyes on Jesus. Do you realize that? Like, like when they were talking in verse 6 and 7, he was blind, then he went and, and, he, and, he, and, he, and he washed and he came back seeing, but when he came back, Jesus and his disciples had withdrawn. They're no longer there. They only come back in verse 35. So actually, this man has never seen Jesus. And so he has questions. He, he, there's a lot of things he doesn't know. So what am I trying to say? Friends, um, God was at work in this man even when he didn't fully believe. Even before he fully believed, God was at work in this man. And some of you here, that's you. That's you too, right? That you don't yet fully believe. God, you know God is at work, but you don't yet fully believe because you, you know you have questions, right? There are things you don't know about Jesus. There are things you don't know from the Bible. There are lots of answers that you're searching, searching for. You don't have all the answers, right? That's where you're at, verse 12. That's where you are right now. And my encouragement to you from this passage is continue to take those steps. Don't give up. Don't give up. Take those steps of faith as, as John Bunyan's continue pilgrim, Right? Pilgrim's Progress, continue along that journey. You know why? Because verse 38 is not that far. It's not that far. And we've learned so much today that God is sovereign. He is sovereign, right, over your life? That the time is short. That the light of the world has come. That your faith matters. Your faith really does matter to God. And the change that He is going to bring into your life, the life that He is going to give you is worth all of this. Take those steps. Don't give up. Worship team, if you can come. And church, if you could stand.
Um, brother, if you can bring up verse 38 again. Verse 38. Church, if there's one thing I pray for us, um, even as I was preparing this message, if there's one thing I can say I, I, I would pray for us is this, that one day every one of us would be able to say this, Lord, I believe. And then, not just stop there, and then get down and worship Him for what He has done. Worship Him for who He is. That's my prayer. Why don't we pray and, and uh, we'll close off this morning. Father, I, I, I just thank You for this, for this record, for this account. And Father, we, we, there are two groups of people here. Father, those of us who, who, um, who don't yet fully believe, who have questions and, and don't have all the answers yet. We haven't got all, everything figured out. And we're, we know You're at work, but we don't have everything together and we don't fully believe yet. And so for them, Father, I just pray that that, Lord, the compassion that you showed upon this, on, upon this man born blind, that they would know that you are compassionate, that you are waiting for them. Your love is patient and kind, and you are sovereign, that you are orchestrating the events of our life. And, Father, I just pray that they would come to a place where they believe even if we don't have all the answers yet, even if we don't know the how or the why, Lord, let our pride not stop us from, from, from bowing down and saying, yes, Lord, I believe. As we sang earlier, where else can I go? Where else can we go? You have the words of eternal life. And Father, I, so I pray that anyone here who may be in that position, Lord, that they would they would persist, that they would persevere by your grace. You would help them to come to a place where they fully believe, where they can rest in that confidence and worship you with their life. And Father, lastly, I just pray for the believers in the room, those of us who have already come to that place where we love you and we believe in you and we worship you with our life. And yet, Father, there are times when we get distracted. There are times when we start to just drag our feet and go window shopping on the boardwalk, Lord, not aware that the sunlight is fading, that soon it's going to be night where no more work can be done. Oh, Father, let us not have any regrets on that day. We wish we could have had more time to do this or that for you or to speak to this loved one for you, to know the, to, for them to know the gospel. Let us not have those regrets. Knowing the time is short today, let us, O oh God, have that urgency within each one of us that we would do what we can in the time we have left in light of eternity. So we love you and we glorify you and we turn our eyes to you. In Jesus' name, amen.